All right, uh, if you would please turn in the Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 <clears throat> on page 962 in the Pew Bible. We're going to look at the last uh, couple of paragraphs in this chapter on the resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and we're going to look at uh, verses 50 to 58. If you would please stand. Paul writing to the church in Corinth. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The word of the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, please send your sovereign Holy Spirit upon us. Draw us to yourself in Christ for his sake. Amen. Uh, please be seated. And uh, like you, if you don't mind, join me in the great Easter acclamation as Christians around the world continue to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. I'll say, Alleluia, Christ is risen. You know what to say. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. So brothers and sisters, Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Alleluia. This is the seventh and last Sunday of Easter, 2022. And... Uh, well, I have to agree with you that what a, a crazy week to have the tragedy in Uvalde unfold around us as we are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, of course, we're always surrounded by death, aren't we? We're always surrounded by death. We're always surrounded by suffering of various kinds. But every once in a while, something happens that just grabs us and shakes us collectively and reminds us of the reality of death, the reality of the frailness of this world where we live, where God has put us. And we're going to be thinking a little bit about that frailty as we look at these last few sentences in Paul's great chapter on the resurrection. Uh, Probably nowhere in his letters does Paul go on at, at so much length and in so much detail about his thinking on the resurrection, which 
he proclaimed everywhere he went. Uh, if you read through the book of Acts, you'll see over and over again, this is what Paul talked about wherever he went. He talked about the resurrection of Jesus, the crucified Christ who has been raised. That was what he talked about. That was the, the center of his gospel. And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he, he lays that out for us. I take this to sort of be a summary of what Paul always said about the resurrection. It, it, it always played a central role in his understanding the cross and the empty tomb. And we'll actually be thinking about those things this morning as we look at this, this concluding section. Uh, I want to give you three headings. Um, confusion in the church, be steadfast, and do the work of the Lord. Those are the three headings. Now let me start with confusion in the church. Uh, the church in Corinth was a confused church. Uh, if you read through the two letters, uh, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, you'll see lots of references to confusion about all kinds of things. Uh, the church in Corinth was apparently a large, prosperous, and very spiritually gifted church. Uh, this was a church which had enormous giftedness, and Paul talks about it. He, he praises them for it, he acknowledges it, and he also challenges them because of it. It's, it's interesting. In the church of Corinth, the, the problem was not skepticism. You know, uh, I come from a church background that was full of skepticism. And our world today is full of skepticism. There is so much skepticism around us. But that wasn't really the, the presenting problem in Corinth. The problem in Corinth was in a way the opposite of that. Um, I don't know if it was an outside teacher or if it emerged from within the church, but somehow, and it may have been a combination of those things, somehow the church in Corinth had come to have, well, theologians called it an over-realized eschatology. That's the fancy theological term for it. Um, another term for it might be... Uh, an, an expectation of all God's blessings in their fullness now. Uh, the church in Corinth apparently was passionate and uh, they were, they were uh, full of energy and, and they, they uh, cared very much ab about uh, the claims of the gospel. They, they were passionate about all those things. But in their enthusiasm... They had gotten confused. They had begun to think that everything that Christ gives us would be realized fully right now. I guess you could say with, I think with some accuracy, that the problem in Corinth was something like the health and wealth theology that we sometimes hear about in American uh, evangelicalism. Uh, something like it. It was, it was motivated by verses from the Bible. There were lots of references to God's blessings. Uh, and apparently, Corinth had latched on to those. They were a fairly prosperous church, and so they, they believed prosperity was what God was about. God brings prosperity, and if you're not prosperous, it's because you're doing something wrong. And... Uh, Apparently, as a church that had some social prestige, and uh, 
apparently they thought that if you didn't have some level of social prestige, maybe if you were poor or uh, not particularly uh, uh, prestigious in your job or lifestyle, that you were somehow doing something wrong. They actually made that accusation against Paul. Paul must be doing something wrong because his apostleship was all about suffering. That didn't make sense in this health and wealth context. Uh, there's the idea that if you followed Jesus, God would give you nonstop perfect health. And if you didn't have that, something was wrong. Well, <laughs> the problem with that viewpoint is every time someone dies, it's proof that something's wrong, right? And if someone dies who's an, an older saint or someone who gets sick who's a leader in the church and is thought of as a, a person that Christians could look to and that person dies, well, it, it shakes your faith. What, what, that doesn't make sense in that way of thinking. Well, that way of thinking is not foreign today. It's not unheard of today. Uh, a few years ago, I had do, dealings with a a wonderful young pastor, uh, a man I loved and, and still look up to very much. He was a pastor of a partner ministry I work, worked very closely with, and his wife got cancer. And um, his church gathered together and prayed. And I prayed right along with them, Lord, heal this woman, this wife of the pastor. Her name was Veronica. Lord, heal her. That, that's the thing Christians can pray. We, we regularly pray for people who are sick, that God would miraculously heal them. We, we do believe that prayer is a valid prayer. And actually, in the particular case I'm thinking of, she actually was healed. The cancer appeared to go into remission, and there were services of thanksgiving, and there were lots and lots and lots of spiritual high fives. God had answered the prayer of the church, and Veronica was alive. And nobody expected her to be alive until she got sick again when the cancer came back. And that put the church into a nosedive. And I actually heard this pastor, who I loved and love, say, I guess we just weren't praying hard enough. Because he had been taught somewhere, somehow, that Christians don't get cancer. Christians don't get really, really sick. Christians don't suffer that way. And if you go through something like that, you pray about it. And if you pray right and you pray hard enough, God will take it away. Well, she wound up dying, and the church was devastated. And he was devastated. I think there were actually people who would say they, quote, lost their faith because they knew her. She was a, a wonderful Christian. She was a wonderful Christian mom and evangelist, someone who loved to share her faith, who loved her husband, and she died. And so therefore God, well, you know the rest of the thing. God's not real, God's not powerful, God doesn't care, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, there was something like that going on in Corinth. They believed 
that God was powerful and that God wanted them to be wealthy and prosperous and healthy and strong and for them to have all these blessings. And if they weren't experiencing those things, it was something wrong with them. It was something wrong with their church. It was something wrong with their leaders. And so the church, as a result, was terribly confused. There had emerged parties, perhaps, with some connections to this very topic. Uh, some might have had the camp of Jesus or the camp of Peter or the camp of Apollos or the camp of Paul. And those may have had some connections to an attitude towards suffering. We're not, we're not told in detail. But we do know there was this enormous division that was happening in the church. And I know that often churches do divide over this very kind of issue. Churches get confused and people choose sides. And so Paul steps out and says, no, no. No, the problem is here we have a very important and fundamental confusion about our life in Christ. Uh, Paul starts addressing that by dealing with his own suffering. He pulls out his own autobiography and rather than hiding from it or pretending as though it wasn't as bad as it was he pulled it right out there in his letter and said this happened to me these things happened to me I suffered in these ways I was shipwrecked I was beaten I was persecuted I suffered I I went through uh, all kinds of difficult things and God never let go of the rudder of my life. God never let go of his sovereign reign over me. He wanted the church in Corinth to understand that, and it's written down here in this letter so that you and I will understand it. Perhaps you have your own personal struggles today. Health, finances, relationships, a long list of things. And I know you all well enough to know, and you know me well enough to know that, that we all struggle with things. Maybe you come here today with deep, painful wounds, grief in your life, sadness in your life. If that's you, Paul wants us to know God is still in control. God is still moving this big ship of the church with us on board, like Noah's Ark. God is steering this, the ship of his church towards this glorious fulfillment when all of our pains and all of our griefs, all of our loss will be made right. But we're not there yet. We're not there yet. The, the, the fulfillment, the, the completion of God's promises are absolutely certain, but they lie ahead of us. And what we experience today is the foretaste of those things. We, we experience the, the foretaste of that coming promise. We, we experience the foretaste of our engagement in Christ's resurrection when our sinful, broken perishable mortal bodies which are prone to sickness and decay from the day we're born all those things will be wrapped up in the imperishable the immortal the glorious the powerful Paul said last week 
what we experience right now in this fallen world is just a, a foretaste, just the slightest foretaste of what Jesus has promised we will know in its fullness. You know, uh, I know enough about grief and loss that you may very well come here today angry. You may very well be sitting here today feeling anger, perhaps even anger towards God. Well, I want you to know you're not the first person to be hurt and angry, who are confused in a messed up and broken world. And you know what? That's okay. That's okay. Bring your anger. Bring your authentic self. Whatever you're feeling, bring it. Are you angry about Uvalde? Are you angry about this endless cycle of violence? Are you angry about wars and children suffering? And Are you angry about those things? Bring it to the Lord. He doesn't want us to deny it or pretend as though it's not real. Let's bring it to Him. He is used to it. He actually wants us to bring to him our authentic struggles, our questions, our uncertainties. We bring those to him. We don't want to run away from him. We run to him with the realities that we're wrestling with. And the word he brings to us is the word of hope, the word of gospel hope. That yes, we live in a broken world. Yes, we live in a sinful world. Yes, we live in a decaying world. But he is bringing about this glorious transformation. It's just ahead. That's the way Paul describes it in Corinthians. It's, it's imminent. It's not imminent in the same way that, that uh, 12 o'clock is imminent. The, the clock... Uh, is just a couple of minutes away and we can, we can grit our teeth and get through it. It's imminent in a more wonderful way. It's imminent in the, in the sense that Jesus is here with us now working towards that perfect fulfillment then. He, so the perfection, the fulfillment of all his promises are present in him. And so Paul says when we die, when we die we, we're, we're actually with Jesus. He says in verse 51, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. There's this sense of imminence, approaching promise, hope. And he brings it to a confused church. He brings it to confused Christians. People who wrestle with the very kinds of things we've already prayed about today. So this is a word for you and me. This Easter, last Easter, last Sunday of Easter 2022. A word of promise at a graveside. That death will be swallowed up in victory. It's a mystery. We're all aware of the, the continuing, what, what Paul calls verse 56, the sting of death. This, every funeral is a reminder of the sting of death. Christians feel it, non-Christians feel it. We feel that sting, the, the 
sense of loss, the sense of grief. We don't deny those things. We don't pretend as though they aren't real. They're real. We feel them. But in Christ and in his resurrection, all those things, all those things are being resolved. All those things one day will be swallowed up, Paul says, in victory. Uh, Quoting from the Old Testament. So, brothers and sisters, if you come here confused or frightened or worried or anxious, angry, take heart. So that's how Paul is wrapping up his chapter on the resurrection. He's applying it to all the, the confusion that we have. and he, he ends this section with two specific calls. Look at verse 58. Well, this is what he says to the confused church. Therefore, my beloved brothers, I, I'm, I'm, I'm always glad when Paul peppers into his letters these reminders that he's not writing a theological textbook. He's actually writing to people. So this, this, these are not words to theological students only. These are words to all of us. Therefore, my beloved brothers. Paul's speaking plainly, but plain speaking is actually a sign of love when it's done right and in Christ's name. Paul's bringing a, a word of love. He says, therefore, my beloved brothers, do these two things. First of all, he says, be steadfast and immovable. It's really interesting that this chapter on the resurrection of Jesus, this chapter that is summing up all these incredible gospel promises that that describes the beginning of the new creation, that describes our bodies being miraculously transformed so that we, sinners that we are today, become like Jesus imperishable, immortal, glorious, powerful like he is. This, this chapter that it just pulses resurrection power ends by a call to do something so simple and straightforward. He says, be steadfast, immovable. And that in some ways that feels anticlimactic. To come through all this and it's not about raise the mighty sword of valor and go forward and conquer all things. We might expect something like that in a chapter on the resurrection. But that's not what he focuses on. You see, our victory is our steadfastness in this crazy mixed up world that is so confused and so dark and so full of sin and suffering. Uh, The glory of the gospel in you and me is that we stand trusting Jesus immovably in the midst of our sadness, in the midst of our grief, in the midst of our anger, in the midst of our loss, in the midst of our confusion. We stand here steadfastly trusting in Jesus. When I go to a, a funeral... And there's a grieving widow with tears rolling down her face saying goodbye to her lifelong loved one. She stands there and says, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus and I am trusting him. 
that's resurrection power made manifest in a, the life of someone who may not look like leading the charge with the sword. She wouldn't fit in in the Christian version of Top Gun. But there she is, immovable, resolute, steadfast in her faith. When I see grieving parents at the graves of their children, crying their eyes out, and in the same breath, trusting Jesus, clinging to Jesus. Be steadfast, brothers and sisters. Be steadfast. That was Paul's word to the church in Corinth, and I believe that's his word to us. Be steadfast. Trust in Jesus. Don't be confused. Don't think that we're going to never have hardship. We know we live through the same hardship as the rest of this crazy, sin-filled world. And yet we stand immovable and steadfast. And then the, the last point, what does Paul tell us about dealing with all this difficult reality? He says, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. What do we do in a crazy world with children being gunned down in their classrooms and families being blown up by bombs? What do we do? We remain steadfast and we keep working. We keep sharing the gospel. We keep calling people to repentance. We keep going into those places of grief and sadness and reaching out in the name of the Savior, doing his work, continuing the work that he did when he walked among us. He now, by the power of the Spirit, empowers you and me to do that same work Next Sunday on Pentecost, we're actually going to talk about how the, the work of Jesus continues through the church. We're not doing a, a new and different work. We're doing his work. And one of the things we need to learn to do in the midst of hardship is to, to keep working together. Not working to earn anything. Working because of something. Working together to fulfill the work that Jesus has entrusted to us. We want to abound in that work. Oh, that is, that is so much my prayer for MetroChrist. That we will be a church abounding in the work of the Lord. Not to earn something from Jesus. He has already given us everything he has. We await its fulfillment. Not to earn anything from him but because we love him and he has loved us. And now he gives us the privilege by the power of the Spirit to continue to do his work, to abound in it. And the last thing Paul says, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I, I take great heart from that. I've been doing this for a few years. You've been doing it for years. You know, 
Sometimes you look around and you're just not sure. Is this working? Does anybody care? Does anybody get it? Does anybody understand? We've all had those feelings. If you're involved in Christian ministry or mission of any kind, you understand that. I understand it. You understand it. It's not easy. And so Paul says, abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that in him your labor is not in vain. So, VBS team, (laughs) we're knocking ourselves out to invite a bunch of kids to come and fill our church. We're praying the Lord will bring us a whole bunch of kids, including some that don't go to church here. So this isn't just an activity for our kids. We're praying specifically that the Lord will bring children from our neighborhood, from down at the school, around the corner from here. We're praying the Lord will help us to reach them and invite them and their families to come here to MetroCrest. We're going to do everything we can do to make sure they have a good time, to make sure they're kept safe, to make sure that they learn the Bible, that that they're treated with the love of Jesus while they're here, and their families are treated with the love of Jesus. And guess what? Then we're simply going to trust that in the Lord, our labor will not be in vain. Will we see? I don't know. Probably we'll see glimpses of it. You usually do. But whether we do or not doesn't ultimately matter all that much because it's not about our timing, it's God's timing. And we can be sure of this, that our work in his name will not be in vain. How he will use it is not our business, but we can be confident that what we do in Jesus' name, he will use. He will use it. It'll be imperfect. It'll be tainted by me and my mess and you and your mess. It'll be completely imperfect. And yet he will take it and he will use it in all kinds of ways that in eternity we'll look back in amazement and realize, wait a minute, you did all that through me? Our work in the Lord, our labor in him, brothers and sisters, is not in vain. So be bold. Trust him. Walk with him in the path that he has put before you. Trust him. Bring your feelings to him. Bring your confusion, your questions, your doubts, your uncertainties. Bring those things with yourself and lay them at the foot of the cross of Jesus And he will be with you. He will teach you. He'll help us to understand. He'll open doors and give us glimpses. I don't know in all the ways he'll do it, but I can promise you he will. I can say that on the basis of 63 years of having watched how he brings all kinds of amazing, miraculous things even through me and through us. Please be here next Sunday, Pentecost Sunday. We're going to start a whole series thinking about the way the Holy Spirit can use each one of us, male and female, young and old, rich and poor, newcomer and old-timer, how he can use all of us to accomplish his work. Be here next Sunday, Pentecost Sunday. and let's, Let's prepare ourselves to see what the Holy Spirit will do as it draws us to the crucified and resurrected Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this word.
Thank you, Father, that you have given us victory through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, even at the grave, even in the midst of a confused and sinful world, we trust you and we want to be steadfast and immovable. We want to be busy with the work that you've entrusted to us, knowing, Father, that in your Son, your, our labor is not in vain. Father, send your Spirit to make it more and more and more so among us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.